We work hard at being healthier. And what we really need is better quality sleep. The new Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed intelligently senses your movements and automatically adjusts your comfort and support on both sides. This is not a bed. It's proven quality sleep. It's the biggest sale of the year where all beds are on sale. Save 50% on the new Sleep Number 360 Limited Edition Smart Bed, plus special financing only for a limited time. To find your local Sleep Number store, go to sleepnumber.com. Special financing subject to credit approval. Minimum monthly payments required. See store for details. This podcast is part of the Bomb Pod Media Network. They're staying in the shadows. It's called probing. Make sure things are all clear. Clear for for the rest of the world. You guys hear that? Christmas, everybody. You are listening to The Confessionals, a proud member of the Bomb Pod Media Network and a featured show on blogtalkradio.com. If you've had an encounter or a story you'd like to share with me on the show, go ahead and shoot me an email. My email address is theconfessionalspodcast at gmail.com. That's theconfessionalspodcast at gmail.com. Or go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com, hit the connection section, and you can reach me that way as well. Now, we do iTunes shout-outs every week. If you go to iTunes, leave a rating and review. You have to leave a review in order to get the shout-out. But if you do that, we give shout-outs every week. And so this week's iTunes shout-outs is Iron Isles, AZM Christensen, and Archonid Master. Thank you very much for going to iTunes and leaving that rating and review. It means a lot to the show, and it means a lot to me personally. So thank you very much. Now, last week I did mention that we're moving our memberships from our website to the Patreon page, and all the members that were on the page were notified ahead of time. And if you follow me on social media, I couldn't wait for this Saturday, so I started pushing the Patreon page early because I just wanted you guys to start seeing the rewards that we're going to be offering because I'm very excited about it. So I'm going to take a minute here and just go over the rewards for you to let you know what exactly it means to become a patron on Patreon for the confessionals. If you want to access this page, you're going to go to patreon.com backslash the confessionals, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com backslash the confessionals. Now the rewards we're offering is the one buck club. And obviously that's $1 to join. And the rewards you get with that is a follow back on Twitter, plus a shout out, a music video featuring myself and your name on the studio wall. Once I build the new studio and we reach 5,000 patrons, once we reach 5,000 patrons, I'm going to build a new studio downstairs 
and your name will be put on the patron wall. So that's the one buck club. Now, the next level up is the squad, and that's $6 a month. And with that reward, you get all the previous rewards of the One Buck Club, plus you get the Confessionals logo sticker in the mail, an invitation to a secret Facebook group through the Confessionals, access to all the archived member shows, random content that I create, and access to the extra show a month, one extra show a month, but we're changing it up now and we're going to do a live broadcast where you as patrons can call into the show live and talk to me and the guests. So if that interests you, that would be the squad, which is $6 a month. And next up, we have the groupies, which is $15 a month. And with that, you get every reward prior with the squad and the one buck club. Plus, you get access to the patrons page on our website where we will put your name and picture up honoring you as a groupies member. Plus, you get a t-shirt after six months of commitment and you get a 30 minute video chat with me every month in a group of people of five to 10 patrons. So that is the groupies. And last but not least is the elite. The Elite is $200 a month, and with that, you get all the rewards from the groupies, the squad, and the One Buck Club, plus you get a luxurious five-star hotel stay for one night in Center City, Philadelphia, and you get an evening dinner out with myself and my wife, Lindsay. So if that interests you, become an Elite member, and you'll have an evening out with us and a luxurious five-star hotel stay in Center City, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So with all that said, that's the rewards on the Patreon page. Again, that's patreon.com backslash the confessionals, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com backslash the confessionals. If that interests you, go ahead and check that page out. There's actually a little video welcoming you from me to you. So I hope you guys check it out and enjoy the rewards that we're going to be offering. Now, tonight we have Dustin coming on, and Dustin has shared with me a very real Bigfoot encounter he has experienced on his parents' property, and it explains a lot once you find out everything else that was going on the property. When he saw that Bigfoot, he knew exactly what was causing everything else. So without any further delay, let's bring on Dustin right after this. We work hard at being healthier. And what we really need is better quality sleep. The new Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed intelligently senses your movements and automatically adjusts your comfort and support on both sides. This is not a bed. It's proven quality sleep. It's the biggest sale of the year where all beds are on sale. Save 50% on the new Sleep Number 360 Limited Edition Smart Bed, plus special financing only for a limited time. To find your local Sleep Number store, go to sleepnumber.com. Special financing subject to credit approval. Minimum monthly payments required. See store for details. Okay, tonight I have Dustin coming on, and Dustin is actually a YouTuber who uh, contacted me. He has a YouTube channel called Crypto PTSD. And uh, Dustin, how are you, man? Doing good. Thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely, man. Uh, when you contacted me, you told me you had some pretty good stories to share about uh, some Bigfoot encounters. And uh, then you mentioned that you had the YouTube channel, too. Uh, tell us about the YouTube channel a little bit. Well, the name of the show is Crypto PTSD. And I started it after dealing. I lived on the property with these creatures. But, of course, in the beginning, we thought there was large drunk people running around. So it that's what led me to start my show is I, I learned that, you know, when people 
deal with these creatures. Most of the time, they don't know what they're dealing with. When they actually see one and tell people, it's it's not taken very well. So there's a lot of things that go into living on a property with it that that gave me the idea for my show. Okay. When did the show start? January of this year, at the end of January. And we we post our shows every Monday. Great. Well, I think that's awesome, man. I, I, it's similar to what uh, we do here and I, other people do. I don't think there's enough out there, to be honest with you. I know some people feel like you know there's too many, but I don't think there is because there are so many people out there that experience just crazy things, whether it's crypto, paranormal, UFO, whatever you want to say it is. There's so many people out there that have experienced things. Not one show could possibly interview everybody. And so I think it's great when these other when other people pop up. And uh, when you told me you had the YouTube channel, I was like, definitely, definitely got to drop that. So I highly recommend everybody going and checking that out. Uh, Crypto PTSD on YouTube. And didn't you say you were on iTunes now too? Yes. Yep. Just got it up two weeks ago. Awesome. So are you going to be uh, uploading every show from here on out on iTunes, including YouTube as well? Yeah. So actually, whenever I upload it on YouTube, it automatically pops up on iTunes. Now, I'll, I'll warn everyone, when I started the show, it was it was a learning process. So you guys will be able to hear my growth from the first view and until where I'm at now. But the show gets much better, I promise you. <laughs> Well, you know, I think anybody who listens to this show, because I have a lot of people that listen to it from beginning to end now. So I think people would agree with you that that's just a natural thing for anybody just starting stuff. Because with my show, you hear the total difference from the first episode to this episode. So um, yeah, that's just a natural thing. But I highly recommend people checking that out and stuff. So Dustin, I'm assuming that you're encounters led to your fascination, which led to the YouTube channel and the podcasting. So uh, why don't you walk us into what happened? What'd you see? Okay. Well, I'm, I, I live in mid Missouri and like most people that end up seeing these creatures, I wasn't involved with the community. I, I had seen finding Bigfoot a few times, but of course that show leads you to believe you know, the two biggest lies in the community, which is that these things are hard to find and that there's not very many of them. So of course, being an outdoorsman, competitive shooter, spend a lot of time outside hunting. I knew they were not in Missouri. Like uh, I knew it because I spent so much time out there. It's like, if it was out there, I would have seen something. So one night I'm driving home, driving down my driveway and we, we live in the country. I, I was living at my stepdad's house at the time. And our driveway's about a quarter mile long, and it's shaped like a J. Um, and the house sits on, on the curve of the J at the end of it. So if you make an L shape with your left hand, you point your finger and thumb, and you point your thumb up at the top of your finger, right there on top of your thumb is where the house is. And the house is shaped like if you took three blocks and stacked them on top of each other, like a skyscraper in the middle block, you put another block on the right. That's the shape of the house. So the bottom blocks, the the garage, the middle block is the kitchen. The block above it is the bedrooms. And then the block to the right of the kitchen is the living room. So I, I think it's important to explain because all these encounters happened here. So that way everybody can kind of get a picture of what I'm talking about. But this, this night, 
I was driving down the driveway and where the driveway starts to curve, we have a path that jets off of it and leads into the east field. Every night I hang on the right side of the road and I shine my lights down there because oftentimes there's deer or raccoons or coyotes or whatever down there. And I see their eye shine and I'll stop and I'll just watch them either until they run off or until I get tired of watching them and I just pull up and go inside. Well, this night was no different. Did the same thing, except I saw something dart across the path. And what I saw dart across the path was it looked odd. It was very fast, very fluid. I just saw a glimpse of it, but it, the body looked thick. You know, like if a deer runs, you can see underneath the deer's body because they have skinny legs or relatively skinny legs compared to the rest of the body. And this thing, I couldn't see under it, but I thought it, it was a deer. And so I come to a stop and on the right side of the path, there's a semi-truck trailer and then there's a tree, a, a little tree in between the path and the semi-truck trailer. Well, I, I saw something glinting over there. And so I, that, of course, gets my attention. And the first thing I think of is on the back of semi-trailers, you know, they have this red and white reflective tape. I thought, you know, the first thought that came to my mind is maybe this had come loose and it's flapping in the wind. So... I knew that was wrong, though. It's just the first thing that popped in my mind. This thing was, I could see it, it was two round circles, and it, it was what I later found out was the eyes. But it was turning and looking at me and looking across the path, and it was standing and ducking and kind of weaving, like, left and right. Like, the motion is very difficult to explain. It was very jerky, very fluid. Uh, almost like a bird, kind of how like a chicken moves its head. You know, it's very jerky but fluid. Yeah. But this thing was was going up and down, and I could see that it had a flat face as well. Like when a horse or a deer looks at you, you see two eyes. When it turns its head, you see one eye. Well, predators, their eyes are on the, the front of their face, so when they turn their head – you can see both eyes until boop, you can't see any, you know? And so I could see and this whole time, like my brain is trying to put together like the outline. Now I had my high beams on it, but it stops. And the whole encounter here lasted about seven seconds from when I first saw the eyes until it, it, it disappeared. But it, it was looking at me, looking across the path, you know, standing and ducking. Well, it was about midway in its stance, and it looks at me, and it stands all the way up, and it squares up to my truck, and it gets all the way up as high as it could go, and then it just shoop, shrunk back down. It was a very odd motion because it was fluid, but when it when it stood all the way up, I saw the outline for the first time of this thing and this thing was huge it's its head was massive it didn't come to a point i didn't notice any cone to the head i mean no more than mine it was a round head and the shoulders on this thing were massive and the the one thing you know from doing my show i noticed people kind of grasp you know, one or two details and they just kind of latch onto that. The thing that I latched onto was if you 
take your hand and you put it on your on the outside of your arm where you would get a shot in the arm, you know, at the doctor's office, that muscle was massive and it was perfectly round like a basketball. Like I've seen, you know, when go to the gym, work out, you know, I've seen guys who have large muscles there, but they're not perfectly round. You know, they come up and then they kind of flatten out and then they tuck back into the body. You know, the muscle kind of lays back in. The only time I've ever seen this is when you see a guy who's done so many steroids that his muscles almost look like they've been inflated with water or something. Yeah. It, it was like that. I mean, it was it was so odd because it was perfectly round. When I say like a basketball, like it was perfectly round. And at the bottom where it came back to the arm, it even seemed to tuck up instead of laying in. That's kind of hard to explain. I, I hope the listeners can see what I'm talking about, but this thing was massive. The, the eyes were about seven to eight inches apart. And that's from outside to outside. They looked like hen's eggs. I mean, they were probably at least two inches wide, the, each eye. And the color of the eye shine, I'm not good at describing color, but it's like a yellowish white that would deepen as it looked at me. So when it was turning and looking at me and turning and looking at me, the color would deepen as it would look at me. And it almost to like a orangey brown or just like a dark orange and it it was i'd never seen anything like that and the way that it was moving it was it's hard to describe it's like a imagining a small animal that's very twitchy but a thousand pound animal doing it you know this thing was at least 800 pounds i would say between eight hundred and twelve hundred pounds somewhere in there i thought i saw a monster monster i didn't know that it was a bigfoot i never once thought bigfoot i thought that this thing was a monster i mean it was so big this thing it felt like it could have picked up my truck if it wanted to and throw it when it shrunk down it was odd because once it stood all the way up it stopped for just a brief second and then it shoot like shrunk down and like me as a person, if I'm going to do that, I'm, I can do it fluidly until my knees, like my butt touches the back of my calf muscles. Then I have to lean forward and put my hands down and then get down. So it's not fluid. It's fluid. Then it stops. And then I have to get down this thing. Now there was grass, tall grass there. And there was a couple pallets. Now it was, the grass was probably three foot tall. I, it shrunk down and it never once stopped the movement. You know, it didn't, not like it had to get on its hands and I'm not saying it disappeared. I think it, it just shrunk down in the grass to where I couldn't see it. And it had to have gone to the right, which there's a, a either underneath or behind the, the semi trailer and crossed the fence because if it would have went left across the path, I would have seen it. That's some really interesting details that you shared for your your encounter to your introduction to this whole thing. Uh, when you were talking about the lights and how they would, or the eyes and how they would intensify, 
was do you think that was something that it was intensifying the the the, the eye glow itself or do you think that was something to do with maybe your headlights hitting it I think it was the angle that the light was hitting the eyes. I think it was, it, it was almost like the same color, except it would, I mean, the best word to describe is the color would deepen. I don't think it was intentionally doing it because it was consistent, you know, as it would look at me and look away to look to its right, to look across the path, the color would lighten. And it was at its lightest color when it was looking away and it was at its deepest when it was looking at me so i i believe it was it was the the angle that the light was hitting the eyes okay yeah because i mean i know like there's people out there that say the eyes shine there's other people that say the eyes self-illuminate i've heard people say that the light the, the eyes shoot light out of them i mean i've heard it all and i'm sure you have too so you know i always like trying try to gauge what you actually saw as far as what you saw the eyes do. So it sounds like you're thinking, you're thinking it was more eye shine, right? Yeah. And there's another encounter later, which we'll get into, but it kind of the same thing happened, except it was different colors. And I, I have a theory on that. I'm a, I'm a competitive shooter. So when it comes to high quality glass, um, you know, you have to have it. I mean, I, I shoot thousand yard competitions and we go well past that. So when you do that, you have to buy APO, APO, apochromatic lenses. And basically, I'll sum it up here. The way light, when light reflects, it, it gets bent. And so like you have red, blue, and green. Red is the widest wavelength at 650 microns. You know, a human hair is a thousand microns. So it's just over half the width. So they get bent the same degree, but because the, the wavelengths are different thicknesses, it, it bends in a, in a different, it, basically it doesn't line up. That's why like I buy apochromatic lenses because it causes all the light to bend and cross at the same intersection. I, I know that's complicating, but I think it's the angle and later the eye color in a different encounter me and the, my mom, who was staying there looking at this thing, we were arguing. You know, I'm saying it has blue. She's saying it has green. And it, eventually, I lean over, and I can see, oh, it is green. So I lean back, and it's blue. And so I believe it's the angle that the – and I could be wrong, but I believe that it's the angle that the light is hitting the eyes. And when it was turning away, it was changing that angle. Yeah, that makes sense. Actually, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, I'm glad you were able to explain the technicalities because that <laughs> that definitely isn't my uh, my forte there. But uh, so you were talking about you you seeing the movements of it. Now, when you said it it would shrink down, talk to me about the the fluidity that you were talking about because you know, there's a lot of people out there that have different perceptions as to what Bigfoot is, and you know, we can go there you know, if you'd like to, but as far as the way this thing moved, would you describe it as something that was paranormal or do you think it was just these things physically move more swiftly than what we can comprehend? The latter of the two. I, I think that it is a <clears throat> physical creature and I think they're built differently than us. And in that I think they're able to do things that we can't do. Oh, 
with our skeleton structure, you know, our bone and muscle structures. It, and when I say when it, it got as tall as it got and then it shrunk down, like if I turned on a conveyor belt, you know, it runs at one speed. That's what it did all the way down until I couldn't see it anymore behind the grass. So when I say it, it disappeared, it just, the odd thing was, is how tall this thing was. And if I were to do that, I would have to, I couldn't do it in a fluid motion. You know what I mean? Like my eyes would move down. And then as soon as my legs bent as far as they could, I'd either have to fall backwards or I'd have to put my hands down and then put my feet behind me and then kind of do a, re a reverse push up and go down. So there would be, um, a stopping point in my motion for a brief second while I did that. And then I could continue going down. I think they're physical, but what I saw was odd enough to, you know, now looking back to take note of on how it shrunk down, because I don't think, you know, let's say somehow, which there's no way that this was a costume because I don't think a human being can move this way, especially with a huge costume and stilts on, but let's say someone was in a costume and doing that, that right there would be a detail that I would be able to pick out because they could not do that. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. You said that you saw this thing dart across the path. Do you think this thing was hunting the deer and that's why you saw it to begin with? I don't know, man. I thought a lot about it <clears throat> and, you know, looking back because after this, there, I didn't realize what was going on until about a year later. And then all these things made sense. But one of the things is the dog, and I'll be able to go into this further later, but we had a dog for part of that time. And <clears throat> she would always look behind the shop and what she, like she would bark at anything and everything. But when she would look behind the shop, like she would, look at me and her ears would come up and then she'd look over there and her ears would lay back. And uh, if you want, I can just tell that quickly because yeah, go that for it kind of explains. So after this, I, I, I worked at a sawmill and I graded cut and stacked railroad ties and we worked 10 hour days, four days on four days off. Like it, it, that was a hard job. So when I got home, like I was filthy. And of course my mom, at the time when I lived with my mom, she, she didn't want me sitting on the furniture. So obviously I had to go and take a shower first. Well, some days I was so exhausted that I just wanted to sit for a minute. So I would go to the back patio and I would sit and, you know, mess with my phone, watch videos, play games, whatever. And I would smoke cigarettes. Well, oftentimes it would get dark while I was sitting back there. And we used to not keep any of the lights on outside. I would be sitting there like literally just zoned into my game or whatever I was doing. And all of a sudden I would get this feeling like something's watching me. And so I would get up, I turn the light on my phone and I'd look over again, the shape of the house. So the patio is the middle block on the right side, right? So to its left and to its right, there's corners and it's dark in there. And I would shine my light over there and it would always be pitch black while I go over to the left, wouldn't see nothing, go over to the right. And that's where Shelby was tied up at. And she, this is when this would happen. She would have her head. She'd be laid down on the ground 
and her ears would be back and she would be locked onto something behind the shop and she would look at me and her ears would come up and then she'd look back over there and she'd lay her ears down but she would never make a noise and she would look at me and look back several times and of course this is something that after the fact I looked on and I'm like because this happened frequently enough to where I stopped sitting outside because it was creeping me out but so I think now I didn't see deer down there. It absolutely could have been what I have come and I could be wrong, but the conclusion that I've come to is they were moving back behind the shop to either go over to the East field or the woods or just back there to watch me. And that, that one bolted across in the one that I spotted was instead of bolting with the other one it decided to stop but it didn't expect me to stop my vehicle and i think it was caught in between like oh crap i don't know whether to go across the path or to duck down or to run behind me or to charge the vehicle like it was like it was like it didn't know what to do like it was jerking around like oh i'm gonna run across the path no i'm not oh i'm gonna go you know what i mean i don't know if that makes sense but yeah uh the, the only reason I stopped is because I saw that first one. If I wouldn't have seen that one, I mean, I, I wouldn't have stopped. They could have been hunting the deer, but looking back and how the dog used to act and she used to stare behind the shop, I tend to think that they spent time back there because that, that happened a lot. It's interesting how you connect the dots after a while when you start looking into it and you actually spend time thinking about, it, you know, uh, it, yeah. people, people that don't, do what we do and don't think about these kind of things and think we're just full of it and stuff, they wouldn't connect the dots that we connect. And if they, I, I really believe that if people that are, you know, skeptics, which is fine to be a skeptic about Bigfoot or whatever, UFOs, doesn't matter. You could be a skeptic. I'm a skeptic about a lot of things. I just, you know, have a very open mind about stuff. Uh, if they would spend time actually considering what we are dishing out to them as possibilities, I really believe a lot of people will come through and be like, you know what? I may not totally be on the same level as you in belief, but I could definitely see there's something going on there. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, absolutely. And that's something, you know, in the beginning of my show that I tried to hammer hard because I personally believe that more people deal with Sasquatch and I've got a perfect explanation later in the story, but more people deal with Sasquatch and the same people being the skeptics because it gets chalked up to that was weird or that was odd or huh, what happened there? And they took it away and they never think about it again. Now, sometimes whenever somebody tells a story that's similar, it brings it back up to them and they're like, you know what? I I've heard drunk guys yelling at each other in the woods, you know? And when it comes down to it, it's, it very well could have been the, the speech that we all hear about, but it, these things get filed away, especially people who live in the country. You, this whole time, we thought there was drunk people running around our property. You know, it's amazing how, if you're ignorant to the subject, even though I knew about Bigfoot, I watched Finding Bigfoot, I never connected the dots at the time because uh, exactly what you're saying, it, I mean, it wasn't involved with my life. And now that it is, it's, I look back and I'm like, I am so stupid. There were so many things that happened that were just, we came up with crazy explanations that made no sense, but it's the only thing we could think of. Right. 
Well, let's just take a break right now. When we come back, we'll talk about the drunk guys that you mentioned earlier. Okay, we're back. And Dustin, you mentioned about the drunk guys. Did you? I don't think you talked about that. I know we talked about it in the, interview, the pre, pre-interview, but I don't think you talked about it yet for the audience. Uh, w- would you want to go into like what, what brought that whole thing up as far as thinking you had drunk people on your property? Okay, so the, the dog thing was happening. So here, after my sighting, I, I remember parking the truck and being scared to get out. And I always thought that, you know, whenever somebody said, oh, well, I had blocked out memories as a child or whatever, to be honest, I thought that that was a load of crap. I thought that was an excuse because they didn't want to deal with whatever. I'm not saying that that's what I did, but after I pulled up, I don't know. I don't remember going inside. I don't know if I cried. I don't know if I sat there and shook. I don't know if I just went to bed. I don't know. because. Somehow I tucked it away and I did not think about it. So everything I'm about to tell you happened after my sighting and before I figured out what was going on. And it's amazing how stupid I was, but I, I thought I saw a monster that night and I don't know how or why I didn't think about it. But I didn't, especially when you hear all the stuff I'm about to tell you that was going on. But when it when it comes to the talking, so we were having people, what we thought were people, come up banging on the house. So we live in the country. Now, there's a gravel road right at the beginning of our driveway that jets off of our driveway. And there's another gravel road that our driveway connects to. But we sit by ourselves alone so at night if anyone comes down there they're up to no good you know what i mean there's no reason it's a dead end the road is our driveway so we we can we can hear like when you live in a house like that and somebody's driving down the driveway you learn even if i'm watching tv i can hear someone because the gravel pops i can hear someone coming down the driveway so we were having people or what we thought were people coming up and banging on the house okay every time i heard it it was on the garage we'd go running outside of course nothing no one no vehicles and so we couldn't figure it out there was a week and i don't remember the tough thing is is until you realize what's going on you don't really log these events as like extremely important things so some of the finer details are kind of hard to remember But after I figured out what was going on, like I started logging everything because I, I, you know, I knew I would be telling people, but this night it was either five nights or seven nights in a row. This happened first night I wake up and it's not uncommon for me to wake up at night, but I wake up and I'm just kind of groggy and I go to sleep. Now my nephew was sleeping in the bed with me. And when he sleeps in bed with me, I'm much more alert. If I hear a sound, like I'll wake up, but I just kind of roll over and go back to sleep. What is odd is for me to wake up and be completely wide awake and alert. 
to go from dead sleeping to all of a sudden I'm awake and it's like, what woke me up? Like, what was it? So the first night I wake up and I'm like, you know, trying to figure out what woke me up and my stepbrother's room. So the bed is tucked in the corner of the room. The headboard touches the outside wall and then the side of the bed touches this wall, which shares, it's a shared wall between my room and at the time my stepbrother's room. He had a cat in there. He wasn't living there at the time, but his cat stayed there. I'm allergic. My family's allergic to the cat. So my mom used to keep the window open and a fan up, which I hated that. I would always go in and shut it, but she would always go in and open it back up. So I wake up and I'm like, what woke me up? And then I hear the cat scurrying around in the room and the cat runs behind the bookshelf, which is on the wall that shares between my room and his room. And this cat started meowing. Now this cat would literally meow for hours on end. Like I'm not exaggerating. Like it would go two or three hours and meowing just constantly. And so it, I heard it scurry, ran behind and it starts meowing, which is right there by my bed. And I'm like, Oh, I hate this stupid cat. Like that's what woke me up. The cat was messing around and whatever. Second night, same thing happens. I wake up and I hear it's silent. And then I hear the cat just run across the room, knocking stuff over, gets behind the book shelf and is meowing. And I'm like, Oh, like, okay, I'm going to kill this cat. I hate this cat. Like, Oh, I can't sleep. It won't shut up. The next night, same thing. I wake up and it's silent. And so this is the third night in a row. And I'm, it, it's weird. This is extremely unusual. It has never happened anywhere else throughout my entire life. Third night I wake up and it's dead silent. And so I'm listening and I'm thinking, what is that cat doing? Because I'm expecting the next two things to happen. The cat to run across the room, get behind the bookshelf and meow. And I hear a little pop. I hear the pop. And then the cat runs and same thing goes behind the bookshelf and starts meowing. Well, the pop I heard was like, you know, when your house shifts at night, you hear a pop, but it's, it's muffled because it's got weight on it. Yeah. This, this was a very light pop, like either something flicking or a small rock hitting something. So the, the next night I wake up. Same thing. And I'm laying there and now I'm listening for the pop. Nothing's happened yet. I'm listening for the pop. I hear the pop, the cat runs and meows. So it happened the next night or the night after. I'm not sure, but I mean, I caught on to it and it happened for a few nights. So this next night I wake up and I'm waiting for the whole thing, you know, and I'm laying there. And when when you're laying in pitch black and you're listening, I don't know if it's just me, but I leave my eyes open and I was staring at the ceiling, but I'm not focusing through my eyes. You know, I don't even know what I'm staring at because I'm, I'm just focusing on listening because I'm waiting for this pop and I'm staring straight up at the ceiling and something on the other side of the wall. Like if I would have held my fingertips up, like I was trying to touch the ceiling, I'm laying flat on my back something about that height spoke and like, if I could see the sound, it would have crossed right in front of where I was looking and this thing spoke and whatever it was, it, it was so deep 
that I had my door open to the hallway, I could hear it rattle the hallway wall. And I mean, this thing, it, it didn't just speak, it exclaimed. And in the moment, now of course, I don't know, but in the moment, it seemed like, like if you were about to touch something and I didn't want you to, I'd be like, no, don't do that. Like it, it exclaimed, like it, it was saying something real fast, but it was so powerful. Like it, I, it's hard to describe how deep this voice was. I jumped up because I got one of those beds where like, if you slowly lean up, it, it's louder than if you just jump up and one, make one big noise. Yeah. It's kind of like get it done with. Exactly. And of, of course I don't, I don't live there anymore, but, um, that bed was like that. It, it sucked. I hated it because you could hear. But anyways, I jump up, I grab my cell phone and, you know, like a, a brave man. First thing I did is I called my mommy, but I called my mom <laughs> and I'm sitting there and the phone's ringing. I'm thinking, oh, she's not going to answer because, you know, my adrenaline's going like a second feels like an hour, you know, and I'm like, oh, she's not going to answer. She's not going to. She picks up on the third ring and she goes, what's wrong? And I'm like, get my stepdad up, tell him to get his gun and meet me in the hallway. They're inside the house. Actually, I think that's the first thing I said. I said, they're inside the house. Now, I knew the sound did not come from inside the house. But in that moment, my thought is protecting my nephew, which he's like a son to me. I, I had him for, uh, he lived with me for a few years and now my mom's got him. I love him. Like we, he's more like a son. So I'm very protective. And my thought was make sure they're not in the house. Like that's the first threat. I knew the sound was outside, but my threat was because I didn't want to get everybody running outside when somebody could be in the house and then go and, you know, hurt my mom or my nephew. So that's what I said, even though I knew the sound was not inside, I knew exactly it came from the other side of the wall directly from on the other side of my head. But I said, they're in the house. Tell my stepdad to get up and get his gun and meet me in the hallway and tell him not to shoot me. I'll be standing in the doorway. <clears throat> so I hear her tell him he gets up. I hear him get his gun, go to the door. And I'm like, Hey, or he says, Hey, I'm like, yeah, don't shoot me. He's like, where are they? I said, I think they're outside. So we step out, we turn on the lights. You know, I can see nobody's in the living room or in the kitchen. And he's literally in his whitey tidies with a pistol, you know, and I'm like, you want to go get a flashlight? And he's like, yeah. So he runs back to his room. Well, I go ahead. Now that I know no one's in the house, you know, I go running outside. No one's out there. Of course, he comes out. My mom gets my nephew. We, me and my stepdad, we walk around the house and we're shining lights. So we go in, my mom comes out, my nephew, and we're thinking, okay, for somebody to come down here, they either had to hike through the hauler, park on the road, or drive an ATV into a field, the field, and then walk across. So we're thinking, okay, no one's on the property. So they would have had to either run through the tall grass to get to their vehicle or run to an ATV and drive it out. So we drive through the fields, all the entry points. We had no cattle out there at that time. So other than the deer path, you can see when somebody hauls butt through a field with tall grass because it's, I mean, it lays down, it's easy to see. We even drive on the gravel roads all the way around to see any vehicles because there's no way if somebody was running on foot 
that they could have made it through the woods and gotten to a vehicle by the time we got over there. And there was absolutely nothing. So, of course, my family, they know it was no joke. I don't cry wolf. And they all knew that I heard something. And so they're asking, you know, what'd you hear? I said, and at the time, it's the only thing I could think of. I said, it was a large drunk man. And they're like, well, why do you, why do you say that? And I was like, his voice was so deep. Like you guys don't understand. It rattled off the hallway wall. Like it was so deep. So I thought this is a big dude because it, I mean, his voice just, I never heard anything like it before. And they're like, why do you think he's drunk? I'm like, because it sounded like English, but I couldn't make out what he said. And I'm like, it's like he exclaimed, like he was taught, you know, telling someone else. Cause I was thinking, you know, there's two of them. And at the time I thought, well, maybe that guy was trying to get in the car and this guy thought there was an alarm. So he told him, no, don't do that or whatever. But I thought he was large because of how deep it was drunk because it sounded like English, but I couldn't make out. It's like it was slurred almost. And man, I mean, it, it sounded like English. I just couldn't make out what he said. And then later had another encounter and my mom heard it speaking and she backed up everything I said on that. But that's, that's why we thought large drunk people were coming around the house, but it was weird. They didn't steal anything. <clears throat> they didn't break anything. They would bang on the wall and they would come outside and talk. And I could not make sense of that because for a drunk man to come all the way out, like he would have to live close by and either walk down the gravel road to our driveway and then down our driveway or through the woods to come to our house just to just to talk outside like what's the what's the point in that so of course it was hard to swallow but that's all we could come up with as impossibilities of what was going on when you heard that voice did you smell anything because you know I, I hear a lot of people say about the smell with these things did you happen to smell anything when you heard that voice no. And I mean, it was <clears throat> directly on the other side of the wall. So just to the right of my bed, there was a window. It did. It was not standing in front of the window. Like I know without shadow of a doubt, it was directly on the other side of the wall. The window was closed. Now looking back, I think they were coming up to the open window in the cat's room. And that's what was causing that chain of events. Why it was standing there only thing I could think is maybe they were listening for me to get up. I don't know if they were trying to get that cat out of the room. I don't know what they were doing, but I didn't smell anything and I never smelled anything nor has any of my family that, that I could contribute to that. Like we smelled skunks, but a skunk is a skunk, you know, sure. it's not what I've heard described. Those are so no, I I didn't smell anything that night, and I, I never have. So this thing was on the other side of the wall, not at the window. Am I hearing you right? Yes. The window was directly to the right, and this thing was 100% like within two feet of the top of my head because I'm laying on my back. You have the wall. I mean, it was directly on the other side because I even knew how high it was because of I was looking and I mean I could hear the wall vibrate when it wow. spoke. Wow! So that's I mean that's some serious power 
to have the wall vibrate and everything when it speaks. Uh, do you think that if it was at the window, you might have understood what it was saying and it was just muffled? Or do you think it was just something like it it's, was mimicking what it's heard people do? It sounded like a language. I can say that. But I don't know. That's hard because it's like it was extremely loud. I mean, it was it was exclaiming. It wasn't just talking. It was exclaiming, but it wasn't yelling either. But I no, I don't think it was saying. I, I think that's what you're asking. I don't think it was speaking English. I don't think it was mimicking uh, what happened later. The second encounter, I know exactly what it said. Um, it, I mean, it said the same thing all three times, which I've only heard one other encounter ever talk about that. Um, but no, I, I don't think it was mimicking. I think it was speaking and the, the language just kind of sounds like English. You know, it's kind of structured the same, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, I mean, I the very first time I ever heard of these things actually speaking was uh, it was a Sasquatch Chronicles episode, and he had a guy named uh, I think the guy's name was Corky uh, from Ohio. I think that's his name. Uh, anyways, I remember him saying that he had a dog, and his dog's name was Cookie, and he would hear something with a really low voice, like. I guess at the edge of his property, yell out to the dog, go cookie, like kind of like he would. And the dog would look confused. Like, like, should I go? But you're standing right here. Who is that? You know? And so, I mean, when I hear those kind of things, I don't know if these things are mimicking or if they're actually understanding what they're doing and they're actually talking to the dog. Uh, So with that in mind, why don't you walk us into what happened next as far as you hearing them actually say something okay so <clears throat> there's you know obvi- after that point the activity increased the banging on the walls increased the uh, i had another encounter where one screamed at me <clears throat> well I, I then had a gut pile stolen okay so this is after that because after the gut pile was stolen it was it, it, if you want to jump to the other one um after the gut pile was stolen, I was faced with something that now I could not tuck away. And I started researching and I'm like, I remembered the sighting that I had and I'm like, Holy crap. Yeah. How did I overlook all this? So I tell my family and of course they're my stepdad. He grew up on this property, his family, I believe his parents even grew up there. So he's lived there his entire life and he's never, seen anything which i personally believe you can't see what you're not looking for just like motorcycles whenever motorcycles get in a wreck with a car where not you know motorcycle falling over when a car hits a motorcycle you know why those accidents are caused is because the driver of the car is not looking for motorcycles they're looking for cars and so kind of the same thing you know i think these things hide in plain sight but if you're not looking for it, you can't, you don't see it unless something like what happened to me happened and it's right there in front of you. So he's obviously skeptical. Uh, my mom, of course, I went through a change where I stopped hunting, stopped shooting. 
ended up having some other stuff happen and my family knew something was wrong with me. And so they, you know, there's a long journey there, but they've gotten to now they, they believe me and they know that I saw something, you know, it's still hard for them to swallow, but they know because my mom was there like on this night. So I had told my family, you know, of course they're, this is at the beginning of telling them. So they think I'm crazy, but one, one evening, Okay, so you've got the bottom block, which is the garage. The block right that's right on top of it is the kitchen. And then the block to the right of that is the living room. So that gap there where if, if you were going to make a square where you would put another block, that is all darkness right there. And there's windows on both sides of the garage. To walk in our house, there's a doorway to walk into the garage. Then you walk through the garage, walking straight ahead. And there's another doorway to go into the kitchen. That's, we don't, the front door never gets used. This is how everyone goes in and out of the house. It was hot. So my mom had the uh, kitchen door open to the garage. I was warming up some noodles and I was talking on the phone to my dad. When I talk on the phone, I tend to pace and we have an island in the kitchen and I'm pacing laps around the island talking to my dad. So my noodles ding, I open it up. And I overcooked them, which I was going to add the eight juice and warm it up. So I didn't want to overcook them. So I was upset. So I pull them out, add the V8 juice. I put it back in the microwave, shut it. And I continue walking laps around the, the island in the kitchen. <clears throat> Again, the doorway to the garage is open. So I'm walking around and I walk around the corner of the island that's closest to the, the doorway there. And when I pass in front of it, I hear a man speak in the garage, but it sounded like it was just to left in front of his show car. Well, it was, it was odd because I didn't hear him come in because normally the precursor to him coming in is he slams the door, the outside door to the garage. And I didn't hear that. So I'm thinking in my head, you know, okay, he came in and he's on his phone and he's got to carry stuff in. So he didn't shut the door. That's why I didn't hear him come in. So like I said, it wasn't enough for me to stop because I had an easy explanation in my head. So I finished the next lap around and I step in the doorway and I poke my head out and I look to the left expecting to see my stepdad there talking on his phone. I, you know, after the one noise, I didn't hear any more. But I poked my head out as soon as my head made it through the door jam. This thing was standing. Now, I couldn't see it, but it was standing directly on the other side of the window, and it spoke. And when it spoke, I, it hit me in the face. I felt it like as soon as it spoke, I dropped immediately to a fetal position. And I guess whenever you're scared, your body's natural reaction is to protect your head. And so when I dropped, I made a fist and I put them up by my temples, like I'm protecting my head. Now I had the phone in my left hand, but I dropped to the ground because it wasn't so much the sound. It was, I felt it hit me and it, I got a jerk reaction because it, I mean, it scared me. I felt it. So I drop down and I stand up and I'm looking at the window and it, I just back up and I slam the door shut. And I'm, my mom was about to put my nephew in the bathtub. And I'm like, mom, there's, it's outside talking. They're, they're outside. Something's out there. And she's like, Oh, Dustin, you need to calm down. Like I, 
I'm like in a life or death moment, you know, and my mom's like trying to blow it off. And I'm like, put him in the other bathroom. And she's like, why? I'm like, and I shouldn't have done it, but I was like, do it now. And she's like, come on, Jace. And my nephew is like, he's like naked running around singing. Like, this is the situation. Like, I know I just heard something twice and whatever it was right there. And I'm like, ready ready to fight for my life and my mom and nephew are like oh you know they're not taking it serious yeah and so i'm like put him in the other bathroom so she takes him back there i'm like get the other gun my gun was on top of the fridge i grabbed it and she's like no so i go back there and i grab the other gun and i'm like take this and she's like no i'm not taking that would you hear and so we walk in the kitchen and we're standing on the opposite side of the fridge so we can't see that doorway and we're standing in the doorway. There's not a door there, but it's a doorway into the living room. We're standing right there. And she's like, what was it? So I'm like double fisting pistols, like freaking Rambo. And I'm like trying to tell her what's going on. And I'm trying to explain, mom, there's something out there to talk to you. I heard it. I heard it. And my mom's not taking it serious. And this thing moved. So where we're standing in the doorway on the other side of the fridge in the doorway to the living room straight back is the door to the patio. And it's got a, a big oval window and it's the window is probably four foot tall, foot and a half to two foot wide. And we're talking and this thing moved to the back patio door. Now, again, we didn't keep the lights on. I mean, it's the backlight was not on. I would flip lights on and my stepdad always went and shut them off because you know, he didn't want to run up the electric bill because he didn't believe he thought people were out there. Anyways, this thing spoke right there. And as soon as it did, my mom's like, who is that? Who's outside? So now, like, she's on my level because she heard the voice. And she's like, is that your, is that, you know, my stepdad, is that your stepbrother? My stepbrother has a real deep, gravelly voice. And I'm like, well, if it is, you better call them because they're going to get shot. So in the kitchen, the windows face the driveway. It was nighttime. We would have seen a car come down. Like, there's no way you can come down our driveway and us not know you're there. No way. Not with a vehicle. Even if you shut the lights off, we can hear it. So she's like, she heard it. She's freaking out. So she calls my stepdad. He's at the grocery store in town. He drops the groceries. He runs to his truck, gets in, drives out there. My stepbrother was at his house, by the way. There was, there was no one out there. He gets home. He drives around. I come out with the light. I tell him what's going on. And my mom's like, it's because with me, you know, he's thinking, oh, okay, I've got a stepson with a mental problem or something. Like, <laughs> because this is after I told them this is Sasquatch. This what's going on anyways. And my mom's like, no, I heard it. He's, he's telling the truth. I was right there. And so then he goes back out looking again for vehicles and stuff and nothing's there, but the crazy. So I think about my sighting. Now I think about all these other things, but the encounter by far, I think about the most is this one because the first time, the second time and the third time it spoke, it said the exact same thing. And the weird thing is, is it said it all three times. Now, while me and my mom were standing there, 
So after it spoke, I put my arm around her and we stepped back in front of the fridge where it could not see us. And I'm like, mom, you heard that? She's like, yes, you know, who is that? And so I'm like, what did you hear? She's like, what do you mean? There's, there's a man out there talking. And I'm like, no, what did it sound like? And she's like, it sounded like a man with a deep voice. I'm like, no, what, how many, because at this point, I'm trying to log everything in every detail. And I hadn't yet told her exactly what I heard the first two times. I just said, I heard a man talking. So I'm like, how many syllables was it? And she was like, it was, it was two syllables. And I'm like, okay, what did they start with? And she's like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, what was the first letter of each syllable? And she's like a D and I'm like, yes, that is exactly the same thing. It said the first two times. And what it said was either drob drew or drob droop. But it said the same thing. And the first time, this is what's weird. The first time was the shortest. The last time was the longest. Like it said it slower. And I thought about that a lot. And I think, okay, you know, start my show and people hear my encounter. I've had people contact me and, you know, they say, oh, well, I speak Bigfoot language. Well, first of all, if if that's true, I'm going to ask you some questions and you better be able to hold up because to me, that's hard to swallow. Right. Second of all, I've had other people tell me, well, it was saying its name. It was introducing itself or it, it was saying they wanted food. You know, if it was saying its name, it saw my reaction the second time when I stuck my head through the door jam and looked, it saw me because I did it right there in the door jam. I dropped down, put, I mean, it saw that it scared me 100%. And this thing, I couldn't see it because it's pitch black out there. But it 100%, I think the first time when it spoke, it saw me walk in front of the doorway. And then when I looped back around and poked my head through, it spoke again. And the third time, it could have spoke outside the wall. It could have yelled. It moved to the only other place because the window right next to there has blinds. The only other place that it could see us and where we were standing. And it spoke the last time. So I'm thinking, okay, if I'm the Bigfoot and I'm trying to make friends with someone, because I've had people tell me, oh, they're just trying to be friendly. And I do something that scares the person. I'm going to back off and change my approach. I'm not going to continue to do it. So that leads me to believe it's either aggression or they just enjoy scaring you because it watched me every time it spoke and it saw that it scared me. And then the second time it saw me standing there with two pistols in my hand and it, it, it still did it. That encounter is it's so fascinating and so frustrating because I have so many questions. I've tried to think of every possible scenario and it's just hard to pin one down. Yeah. Now, I mean, you said, I, help me remember what you just said. You said that it was either trying to scare you or it was being aggressive, right? Yes. Now to me, I think that's one and the same, you know, I what I picture here is something outside probably trying to scare you and I think that's an act of aggression uh whether it's it's you know thinking it's funny and it's finding it entertaining scaring you it's still aggressive and I think that personally this is only my personal opinion I've never seen anything 
I just am fascinated with the stories. I've heard a lot of them. I've talked to a lot of people who have seen them. And what I think is, one, I think these things are a lot more intelligent than some people want to give them credit for. And I think in general, these things don't really want to be bothered. But I think there's some kind of, there, there's some of these things that I don't know if they're just bored or if they're if they're kind of like rogue Bigfoots, but they go against the norm of what most of these things are. And it sounds to me like that's kind of like what was going on at your place, like banging on the house, talking into the house. Like it was trying to pester you guys and just be a jerk. Uh, is that kind of how you feel about it or what? Yes. And, you know, I've had people say, well, I look back and some of the stuff, you know, I, in the time I felt like it was aggression and now looking back, I took it that way, but maybe it wasn't, but there's another time where it did almost the same thing, except I was outside and it saw that it scared me and it did it again. And I, I tend to think, you know, hearing people come on my show and talk about habituation and all that, you know, I think that's a bad idea, but I mean, to each his own, whatever. But I, I think how, where does this behavior come from? Okay. So is this behavior that just is geared towards human beings? No, I don't think that. So I tend to think that this is how they treat each other as in dominant males and younger males. They intimidate them. They put them in their place. There's a pecking order. And so they do stuff either, you know, beat on them or chase them off or whatever, so I tend to think that this behavior can't just be geared towards humans. It has to already be there. And I could be wrong, but you know, like a, like a dog, a dog, it lives in your house, was born in your house, was raised in your house. It still sniffs people's butts and it does that with dogs and it does it with people. So kind of the same thing, this behavior, I've thought a lot about this one, the whole encounter, but especially just this one thing and i tend to think maybe this is how they treat other bigfoot and so it coming to us we of course think that they only do it to us but i'm maybe thinking that maybe this is an insight to their pecking order and their the structure of of how their family groups if they live in family groups work that's very interesting. I mean, it, it really does make sense with what you just said. Let's just take a break right now. And when we come back, I want to ask you a question about something you said earlier. Okay. Okay. That's fine. All right. We'll be right back. Okay, so uh, earlier you, I can't remember at what story you said this, but you said after that activity increased, uh, do you do you have any idea what kind of triggered the whole activity increasing around the property? I think it was us running outside every time something happened with flashlights. I think they liked that. I think they liked this this six sinister game of hide and seek. You know, it's almost like. If I was going to play hide and go seek with a four-year-old, I'm going to, you know, if they're walking down the hallway, I'm going to step in an obvious place where I know they're not going to look because it's a child. So I'm smarter 
I'm faster, and I know the child's not going to look. So I can hide in places that if I was, let's say, being chased by someone that wanted to kill me, I would never hide in these types of places. So all I'm trying to say there is we're the four-year-old, and they're the adult. And so to them, it's a game because they know they're faster, they're more athletic. I mean, I think their athletic ability – we can't even comprehend. And I think that's why some of the paranormal stuff gets stuck on them because they are just absolutely amazing. I'm jumping, running, crawling, all those things. But I think it's a sick game of hide and go seek. And when you come out flashing your guns and lights, it's almost like, a, okay, you guys ready to play? I'm going to go bang on the house and let's do this. Boom. Okay. We come outside and it, I think that that is what increased it because after, I mean, we would go outside with the banging, but when it spoke that first time was the first time we all, my mom, my stepdad, me, and my nephew was sleeping. My mom was holding them. We all went outside and I think they liked that reaction. And so they wanted to get that reaction more and more. Yeah. I mean, that, that absolutely makes sense. I mean, the mischievousness of these things, uh, is something that I always kind of lean towards. It's kind of like that that question: Why did the Bigfoot cross the road? And I, it, it for yeah. me, it's really it, it only comes down to they've got to be looking for entertainment for themselves because uh, th- these things they're not stupid. They just can't be stupid, and they know what cars are. They know the car is going to come down the road. They see it coming, and it will pass. It's not going to stop. So why would you not wait till? it passes in order to cross the road. You know what I mean? And the only thing I could think is that they're looking for the attention. They're looking for the attention. And uh, it's just, it's crazy to think about how these things operate, what makes them tick. Uh, But I mean, just, I think you're absolutely right, man. I mean, just seeing the the reaction that you guys gave it uh, just kind of encouraged it to do it more. And uh, who knows? You only ever saw one at a time, but you don't know how many were out there. You know, it could have been some weird game. Uh, Well, Except for the first, I mean, the one that ran across the path and then the other one that I sat there and watched. That yeah. was the only time that I know of two being in the, at, on the property. But I, I do think that there was more, uh, but that's just, uh, other than that one sighting, the rest of them is just speculation because of the what they did. But yeah, I, I agree with you. Yeah, well, I mean, speaking of the speculation and stuff, I mean, I, I wanted you to kind of backtrack a little bit because you mentioned it earlier, and I know you covered it in the email, and I found it interesting. So why don't you tell us the story of the gut pile? We'll, we'll title it that, the gut pile. Okay, so the gut pile was the pivotal point in all this. The gut pile, first of all, I had another witness there with me, um, and he can back up everything I'm saying, but for the first time, you know, all these other things. Now the talking where me and my mom heard it, this was after the gut pile, everything else was before. So we're still in this state of large drunk people running around our property. That's the only way we could explain it. It was deer season. My cousin, he's hunted, but he's never went out by himself. So he went tag along with me so I could kind of show him things It was late in the evening. It was literally like an hour before dark. And we were decided to go at the last minute. So we're throwing all our clothes, get all our clothes on, walk out the door. And we're walking 
to the right in the shop, you know, walking down our driveway. Then we're walking to that path that goes by the semi-trailer and leads into the east field. So we're walking and, you know, I'm telling them, you know, hey, look for horizontal lines, deer, you know, they're back to horizontal movement. That's another thing you want to keep an eye out for, like trying to like give them some pointers because I know we're not going to see nothing because it's almost dark. And so we're walking by the semi-trailer and he's like, literally, maybe we've been walking for two minutes, tops, not even, still in our yard. He goes, is that a deer running across that field over there? And I'm, I'm like, what? And I look up and it's a buck. It was windy. And so I grunted. It didn't hear me. I grunted louder, didn't hear me. And so I just yelled because it was so windy and it was like 130 yards away and it stops. And I pull up and I shoot it. Now, I'm going to be very detailed, so I'm going to warn your listeners because it's very important. But I'm going to be very detailed, and it may be gross some people because I'm going to talk about gutting it. So warning you now. But I shot it. It did a what's called a mule kick, and that, that means you hit it in the heart. All hunters look for that. Ran up to the first fence, got drunk like it was going to fall over. I guess it's adrenaline pump started kicking in. It jumped the fence, was going to the next hauler. I shot it again just to put it down because I didn't want it to go down in the hauler because I knew it was a dead deer, so we didn't have to drag it up. We go over there, get it. We drag it to where the driveway just starts to curve, okay? Go inside, get my family, and they're like, was that you who shot? I'm like, yeah, I've got a big buck. And they're like, no, because I literally just walked outside. And I'm like, yeah, come on. I want to show Jace. Come on, mom, stepdad, I'll go out. You know, I put Jace on it. We're taking pictures and photos. And so they're done looking at it and it's getting dark right now as we speak, like it's almost dark already. And they're walking inside and I'm asked my stepdad, I'm like, Hey, where do you want me to gut this thing? He said, take it down there behind the semi-trailer in the corner in the tall grass right there in the corner of the fence and got it there. I'm like, okay, me and Jordan drag it over there. And I knew I hit it in the heart. So I knew the, the chest cavity was going to be full of blood and you have a diaphragm, which separates your esophagus, your lungs and your heart from the rest of your gut. So your spleen, your liver, small intestine, large intestine, all the other stuff. The diaphragm is a tissue that separates that. So I pulled the guts out. I, I made sure not to cut the diaphragm because I, I didn't want to get blood. I mean, the guts are clean inside the body unless you shoot it and it bleeds internally. So I pulled the guts out and then I wanted the heart. So I cut the diaphragm which was com literally completely full of blood, pull the lungs and stuff out. I get the heart and I'm like, Jordan, I want to get a sharper knife. I want to put this heart up because it's my favorite part of the meat. Don't knock it till you've tried it. But I'm like, let's go inside, get a sharper knife and pull our vehicles down here. Cause it was dark. I'm like, so we can see it's like, okay. So I put the deer right next to the gut pile and I flip it chest down to drain the blood out. We walk inside, I throw the heart in the bowl, dump salt in there, filled it full of water, grabbed a sharper knife. I grabbed my keys, he grabbed his keys. We got in his, my truck, his car, and on, when we walked and left the deer, there was a gate. I shut the gate because I remember him looking at me and I'm like, 
I know it's dumb, but I don't want anyone stealing my deer, which would be impossible because they would have to drive down our driveway and there's just no way. But I shut the gate. So this deer is now closed in on in a box of four or five wire bob wire fence all the way around it and that gate. So there's no one who can drive a vehicle in there without us seeing. Go in, get the stuff, we get in our vehicles, drive back down, jump out, open up the gate, go down, and the deer is in the corner. It's it's in a square, okay? The deer is in the top right corner. So the path curves to the left right there by it. So we pointed our vehicles right next to the path where the headlights would hit. And we, we couldn't see the deer where he was. So we walked over, we grabbed the deer, and we drug him over to where we could. he was in the light. So I cut a part off the deer. I handed it to my cousin. And I'm like, hey, go throw this in the gut pile. He's like, okay. He walks over there, and, you know, the deer was just starting to get a little stiff. You know, rigor mortis was kind of starting to set in, and I'm trying to bust the pelvis here because there's a, a part that, anyways, the leg keeps flopping over. So I'm, like, standing on one leg, holding the other leg, and trying to chop this. And I'm like, I look up, and I need Jordan's help, and he's just standing there. And I'm like, hey, man, what? You want some alone time with that thing? Like what? Like it was the male part of the deer. That I, <laughs> I cut off and handed to him. So I'm like, you want to take that home? Like, what, what are you doing? Cause he's just standing there and he's like, Dustin, where's the gut pile? And I'm thinking you moron. Like, I'm like, dude, it's right over there. It's the only pile of guts over there. So to explain the area here, this is dead yellow grass. So in the winter, you know, during the summer, the grass stands up high and tall. During the winter, it dies. It's yellow, and it falls over. It's almost a white color. It's like a pale yellow, and it falls over to where it looks like a bunch of humps, almost like the waves in the ocean, you know? And so the grass is beat down, and, you know, seeing blood on grass like that, dead yellow grass, is like throwing white paint on a black wall. Like, it just stands out. And I'm thinking, what the heck? dude, it's right there. And he's like, Dustin, it's gone. And I'm like, what? And I get up and I'm frustrated. Like I'm thinking you idiot. Like, and I stomp over there and I get over there and the gut pile is gone. Now I flip the deer over to drain the blood out of it. And the blood puddle, like the deer was right there by it. the blood puddle had run up and was you could see where it was running around the edges of the gut pile. And now that the in like a crescent moon shape, now the gut pile was gone and it was filling in where the gut pile was gone. And he's like, Dustin, what could do that? And I'm like, uh, 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 dude, I, I, I don't know, dude, just just help me load up this deer and let's go. And he's like, Dustin, what did that? And I'm like, I, I don't know. It, it was I don't know. He's like, Dut, like he wouldn't leave it alone. I'm like, dude, it was coyotes, which I'll go into why that's impossible in a minute. But so I didn't want to freak him out. And I knew something weird had happened through the deer in the back, drive over to my uncle's. He helps me hang it up. Then I drive back and I'm thinking, okay, so people, they would have taken my deer. Okay. The deer, it's the biggest buck in my life. They would have stolen the deer. 
If they didn't, they wouldn't have stolen the stomach and the intestines. You know, they may have taken the liver, but they humans don't touch the gut pile. They would have taken the deer. So I'm like, okay, coyotes. If you've ever seen a coyote kill, it's like a 25-yard area that's covered with shreds and bits and blood and gore yeah. because how dogs' teeth are. Front teeth are for holding, back teeth are ch- for chewing. In order for a dog, they don't have hands or silverware. In order for a dog to bite something, they have to bite it and they have to shake their head or put their paw on it and press. And so they rip things to pieces. And one coyote could not have eaten that gut pile. It had to have taken a pack. And so it would have been drug all over and there would have been evidence everywhere. So I'm thinking, I'm whatever did this, I'm going to see on the dead yellow grass the blood and where I'm thinking, I'm like, okay, there's, there's a fence all the way around this and the gate was closed. So something, if let's say a mountain lion did it, they would have had to drug it up to the fence, cross the fence, whether it went over or under, and then they would have had to drag it under. And I'm like, that's where I'm going to find my evidence. Okay. So I get back, I get a mag light. I remember it was my stepdad's mag light and I did a circle around the gut pile. I took one step out, did another circle, one step out, did another circle. And I did that until I crossed the fence and then some, like at least 10 yards past the fence all the way around. And Tony, there was not a single drop of blood. There was not a drag mark. There was not a piece of anything. And if me and you, without a wheelbarrow or a vehicle, we're going to carry off that gut pile. I mean, just research how long the intestines in a deer are. Like, there's no way. We would be dragging pieces behind us, even though we're carrying it together. And now this blood pile was covered with blood, and the lungs were in there. And the lungs were in the chest cavity, which was full of blood. So this gut pile now has blood all over it. And so I'm like, okay. Black bears, there's been one sighting in this area like 50 years ago. I've never seen anything to lead me to believe. I've never seen any sign. They're not here. Mountain lions, yes. A mountain lion dragged stuff away. There was absolutely no evidence of it, and a mountain lion could not have. We were gone no longer than 10 minutes, and that's accounting a minute to walk in the house and a minute to walk back. So that means eight minutes this thing had to have eaten or we drove our vehicles back, but this thing had to have eaten it in that period of time and not left a trace of anything. So this is where like everything came rushing back. And I finally, I'm like, holy crap, this is, this is what I saw. Everything, like, like all this information came rushing to my head. And so I was faced with something that I could not, talk away anymore because and so I, I go back to St. Louis and I start researching Bigfoot you know stealing deer stealing gut piles and I find all these people that have the same things but my thing is I'm like how did that thing carry this off because I don't believe it ate it there I believe it had to have carried it off because it would have been if it ate it there it would have been pulling and breaking pieces and the puddle wouldn't have been the way it was so I'm like, how did it get it, you know, that far over the fence? Because it, that's right behind the semi-trailer, okay? 
the woods and the hauler start just over the fence, probably, I don't know, 40 yards, something like that, um, down. And I didn't go all the way to woodline because if you think how much time that takes to do circles like that, as far as I did, I thought I made more than enough of an effort. So I started thinking, how did this thing carry this thing? And it had to have lifted it over too, because there's no evidence of it dragging underneath anywhere. But I'm like, how did it keep it from dripping blood? And so uh, now this is, I probably figured this out a year after this happened, because I thought about this a lot. And I thought, if you take a marble cutting board and you dump blood on it or a liquid on it, what happens? It goes, shoof, and it immediately runs off. Now, if you take shag, a piece of shag carpet and you put it on that cutting board and you dump blood on it, it's going to run off, but it's going to slow down the process because it's getting soaked up and it's working its way through the carpet before it lets its first drip. So this is just my personal opinion, but I think that this thing, I, this shows the intelligence, or I think it does. I think that this thing knew it did not want to leave on the dead yellow grass any sign. So I think that it was one Bigfoot and it picked this thing up and it like leaned back and carried it like almost on its chest or its stomach. So the blood would run onto it and have to run down its body and soak into its hair. And eventually the blood would be dripping off of it, but it gave it enough time to make it into the woods before that happened just my personal opinion i've thought about it a lot and that's the only thing that i can think of why i didn't see any blood because it stands out on yellow grass like that yeah i mean that it definitely makes sense uh, if that happened i mean did you ever notice any footprints around the property especially that night when you were searching through the grass did you ever see anything that would suggest that there were tracks never saw anything and, and i've never seen a footprint on this property uh tree structures yeah i found footprint in a, another area but i've never seen them leave a footprint anywhere on this property so with that in mind do you have any ideas as to why that would be do you think that they're just that cautious on how they leave their tracks or do you think maybe they even cover them up i've heard many different theories so this property, the only way you're going to see tracks is if it's rained a lot and it steps and it sucks down in the mud. Um, there, there's a lot of grass, like I said, in the field surrounding it. Before you get to the wood line, he, he leases it now for cattle. And as he was growing up, they had cattle. So it's real tall real thick grass and in the winter like this it it folds over but i've never seen any footprints i tend to think they're they're very cautious on where they they leave them and i even tend to think sometimes intentionally they may leave them but i've never seen one uh anywhere so i i don't know i think they're just very cautious about where they lay their feet in high risk areas I think they're they're less cautious deep in the woods or you know in thick brush where they know people aren't going to go. You know I think they'll step in a mud puddle then or a sand bank, 
But I think in a high-risk area, they're extremely cautious where they put their feet. Now, when they take the gut pile away, do you ever wonder why? Because I do. Why would they not take the deer with the you know yes. meat on it and stuff? I mean, I I don't know if it's just a me thing, but I would prefer the deer meat over the guts. <laughs> yeah, well, so it, like with uh, I, I thought the same thing, you know, which humans and them, it, it's I've looked into it on guts and the nutrition. So a pack of wolves, interesting fact here, pack of wolves, you know, they have a pecking order just like lions. The more dominant ones eat first. So in a pack of wolves, the alpha dog eats first. Reason why is they eat the liver. The liver is the most nutritious bite for bite on anything on that animal. And just like packs of dogs, I mean, I think that they eat the liver, maybe the spleen, maybe even the stomach contents. I don't know. Yes, it makes me wonder, and the only thing I can come up with is maybe they knew if I took that, they took that deer that me and my cousin were going to go in the woods looking for it. Yeah, no, I absolutely. I mean, that's kind of like what I was going to follow up with, anyways, is that the idea that, you know, you take the deer, somebody's going to go looking for that because, you know, even, I mean, obviously you might think Sasquatch, but just any old hunter out there, you take their deer, they're going to go find that jackass that took the deer because yep. you know you spend all day waiting for that deer to cross your path. You're not just going to let somebody else take it. Uh, so, I mean, that's definitely something that I was thinking as well. So in, before we started the show, you and I were talking and your career is very detail oriented. And has that helped you at all with your research into this topic? Yes. Yes, it has. And I'm not a researcher. You know, I just, uh, I, I do go out sometimes, but I wouldn't call myself a researcher. But when it comes to getting inside their mind, or what I believe is getting inside their mind, it has opened my eyes to a lot of things, such as human beings are very habitual creatures. You may not realize it but you do almost the same things every day you stop at almost the same gas stations now this is outside of taking a trip you know in your town you go to the same places you tend to eat at the same places um take the same ways to work and back so we're very habitual and these creatures i believe sit and watch us constantly and they learn these habits and in these habits is where they find the flaws you know people always tell me well just like with the first time the one spoke it was directly on the other side of my bed now i think that because of what i do is the only reason i came up with i think it was standing there to monitor me getting out of bed you know i think when they do stuff they do it as a team and the amount that they sit and watch people, you know, it, finding the areas that they do it, you know, especially when it comes to my job, there are certain areas where that are great and certain areas that you want to avoid. And without doing that, I probably wouldn't have found these little positions or, like I said, kind of been able to try to think through their eyes and see, okay, well, here's a situation 
here's what the guest is telling me and absolutely could be right. But when I add my own speculation, so I, yes, I, I think it has helped. Now, of course, it's all speculation because I don't know I wasn't there, but I think it's given me a special insight. So when it comes to my show and I, I ask the questions, I, I think that, I think it helps a lot with that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, I really appreciate you coming on and talking with your encounters and stuff because it's fascinating and it's clear that you spent a lot of time thinking about the details of what you've experienced and uh, you did a great job uh, just picture, drawing that picture out for the audience. And uh, before we get out of here, I want you to just kind of revisit your YouTube channel. How can people get a hold of you, your email, all that stuff? Well, you can find my show on YouTube or iTunes. And I just learned when you have your show on iTunes, it goes to a lot of other podcatchers. So, but you can always find it on YouTube or iTunes. It's called Crypto PTSD. And if you want to get in contact with me or you have an encounter, you can email me at cryptoptsd at gmail.com, all lowercase, no spacing, and put encounter in the subject line if you would. And we do more than just Bigfoot. Probably 85% of my shows are Bigfoot encounters, but I do Dogman, UFO, Paranormal, all of it. So come on over. Hit the subscribe button and let me know what you think of the show. Yeah, absolutely. And if you want, go to the confessionalspodcast.com where this show is posted, and I will link one or two of your videos there. That way people can kind of get a taste of it right there, and they can actually just click the video, take it right to your channel, things like that. So check it out on the website. All the information will be there. And uh, Dustin, I really appreciate you coming on tonight, man. Thanks for having me on, Tony. I enjoyed it. You got it, man. I'll talk to you. Well, that's the show, everybody. I really hope you enjoyed it. And remember, we have the Patreon page up and running. That's patreon.com backslash the confessionals, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com backslash the confessionals. Any of those rewards would be great for you to sign up. Anything that interests you, even just the $1 a month club would help us out a ton. So anything you sign up for would be greatly appreciated. If you're a fan of the show and you want to help support the show, now you know where to go. I hope you guys all have a great Christmas on Monday. Enjoy some time off from work. Relax and enjoy your family. I'll see you guys next Saturday right here on The Confessionals. Take care. So this is what you meant When you said that you were spent And now it's time to build from the bottom of the pit right to the top Don't hold back Packing my bags and giving the academy Check.
same as ours. Now don't you?